Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. We're about to begin. Good day and welcome to the Timbana Pipeline Corporation 2021 fourth quarter results conference call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to turn the conference over to Cameron Golded, Chief Financial Officer. Please go ahead. Thank you, Jennifer. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Pemina's conference call and webcast to review highlights from the year 2021. On the call with me today are Scott Burrows, President, Chief Executive Officer, Jared Sprout, Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, Pipelines and Facilities, Stu Taylor, Senior Vice President, Marketing and New Ventures and Corporate Development Officer, and Janet Laduca, Senior Vice President, External Affairs and Chief Legal and Sustainability Officer. I'd like to remind you that some of the comments made today may be forward-looking in nature and are based on PEMINA's current expectations, estimates, judgments, and projections. Forward-looking statements we may express or imply today are subject to risks and uncertainties which could cause actual results to differ materially from expectations. Further, some of the information provided refers to non-GAAP measures. To learn more about these forward-looking statements and non-GAAP measures, please see the company's management discussion and analysis dated February 24, 2022 for the period ended December 31, 2021, as well as the press release PEMINA issued yesterday, which are available online at PEMINA.com and on both CDAR and EDGAR. I will now turn things over to Scott to make some opening remarks. Thanks, Cam. As announced earlier this week, the Board of Directors has completed its process regarding the CEO search. I am honoured and humbled to have been entrusted with this role on a permanent basis, and I am thrilled to have the opportunity to work with such a dynamic and dedicated team. Temna's future is full of exciting opportunities, and I am confident that together with our many stakeholders, we will accomplish great things. 2021 was another remarkable year for PEMINA as we once again navigated the uncertainty and ever-changing reality of the pandemic and its consequences on the global economy and energy prices, while still moving the company boldly forward. A year ago, we spoke about hitting pause in 2020, but getting ready to hit play again in 2021, and we did exactly that. Our accomplishments include restarting construction on several previously deferred capital projects and delivering record financial results that exceeded our annual guidance. Cam will speak more to the details in a moment, but our strong results reflect much improved commodity prices across all products within Pemina's value chain, crude oil, natural gas, and natural gas liquids. Further, volumes on many of Pemina's systems improved throughout 2021, and higher prices and margins on crude oil and NGLs, as well as NGL sales volumes in the year, led to strong annual results in our marketing business. Complementing these strong results was a step change we achieved in the execution of our ESG strategy. Pemin is embracing the opportunity to adapt, respond, and contribute to a more sustainable future, and our strong commitment to ESG is being demonstrated by the ambitious new projects, partnerships, and targets we announced this past year. We announced a bold target and laid out plans to reduce Pemina's GHG emissions intensity by 30% by 2030. We further demonstrated Pemina's commitment to employee diversity, equal opportunity, and ensuring a safe and inclusive workplace with the announcement of employee equity diversity inclusion targets. As we announced three significant partnerships that combine strong business opportunities with compelling ESG attributes. Early in 2022, we are poised for another exciting year ahead. 
As we have previously noted, our enthusiasm is due in part to the overall improvement in commodity prices and the expectation of post-pandemic economic recovery. We continue to observe strong industry fundamentals, including the extraordinary financial health of our customers, new third-party infrastructure, and continued petrochemical support and investment. Finally, I would like to congratulate Jared Sprout on his appointment to the newly combined position of Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer Pipelines and Facilities. This appointment recognizes his strong leadership and significant contributions to PEMINA over the past seven years. And I would like to welcome Ava Bishop, who will be joining PEMINA in April as Senior Vice President Corporate Services. Ava has nearly 30 years of experience across energy, consumer goods, and network industries, and her new role will support the Executive Committee in developing new opportunities to benefit PEMINA's various stakeholders, including our employees. I will now pass the call over to Cam to discuss the financial highlights for the fourth quarter and full year. Thanks, Scott. PEMINA reported record quarterly adjusted EBITDA of $970 million, representing a 12% increase over the same period in the prior year. Fourth quarter adjusted EBITDA was positively impacted by higher margins on NGL and crude oil sales, combined with a higher contribution from Oxable, as well as higher contributions from Prince Rupert Terminal and DuVernay 3 coming into service in March 2021 and November 2020, respectively, and also Verison Midstream as a result of the Heist Development Project entering service in March 2021 and higher volumes at the Dawson assets. Fourth quarter of 2021 was also negatively impacted by higher realized losses on commodity-related derivative financial instruments, expiration of contracts on Nipissey and Mitsu pipeline systems, and a lower contribution from Ruby Pipeline. PEMINA recorded earnings in the fourth quarter of $80 million compared to a loss of $1.2 billion in the same period in the prior year. In addition to the factors impacting adjusted EBITDA, fourth quarter earnings were impacted by lower non-cash after-tax impairments compared to the prior period. PEMINA recognized $335 million net of tax of impairments in 2021, largely related to the Nipissey and Mitsu pipeline systems, as well as the Edmonton South Rail Terminal, compared to $1.6 billion net of tax of impairments in 2020. Excluding impairments and the associated deferred tax recovery, earnings for the fourth quarter would have been $415 million compared to $338 million in the fourth quarter of 2020, or a 23% increase. The fourth quarter was also impacted by unrealized gains on commodity-related derivatives compared to unrealized losses in the prior year. Higher other expense, which increased due to higher transformation and restructuring costs and project write-downs, higher net finance costs due to lower foreign exchange gains, and a lower share of profit from Ruby Pipeline. Total revenue volumes of 3.4 million BOE per day in the fourth quarter were down approximately 5% compared to the same period last year. Volume decreases were largely attributable to the pipeline division, most notably due to contract expirations on certain oil, oil sands pipeline systems and Ruby Pipeline, as well as a timing difference in the recognition of deferred revenue volumes, largely with the Peace Pipeline. The fourth quarter contributed to solid results for the full year, including record adjusted EBITDA of $3.43 billion, which was 5% higher than the 2020 result and exceeded our annual guidance range, adjusted cash flow from operations of $2.6 billion, which was 15% higher than 2020, and full year volumes of 3.5 million BOE per day were roughly consistent with 2020, despite the impact of contract expirations I just mentioned. 
Strong financial performance allowed Pemina to exit 2021 in an even better financial position with a stronger balance sheet, improved liquidity, and having maintained or strengthened the company's financial guardrails. This is demonstrated by approximately 89% of adjusted EBITDA coming from fee-based sources. Our dividend continues to be fully funded without relying on our commodity-exposed business. Fee-based cash flow more than covered our annual dividend payment with a payout ratio of 75% on this basis. Including our commodity-exposed cash flows are all in dividend payout ratio of adjusted cash flow from operating activities was 53%. Likewise, roughly 82% of our credit exposure at year-end was with investment-grade and secured counterparties. And we maintained our strong triple B credit rating with a year-end ratio of proportionally consolidated debt to adjusted EBITDA of approximately 3.6 times. On a proportionally consolidated basis, which includes debt at our joint ventures, Pemina reduced debt by about $500 million in 2021. As we previously announced during the fourth quarter, Pemina expects to deliver 2022 adjusted EBITDA of $3.35 to $3.55 billion in 2022. Likewise, in 2022, Cash flow from operations, cash flow from operating activities is expected to exceed dividend payments and the capital expenditure program. In December, Pemina announced that it expects to allocate up to the first $200 million of the excess cash flow to common share repurchases by mid-2022, representing approximately 1% of the company's common shares. During the fourth quarter, we got an early start towards this goal, repurchasing $17 million of common shares. I'll now turn things back to Scott for some closing comments. Thanks, Cam. This is an exciting time for Pema, and I believe our value proposition remains compelling. We have a diversified business, integrated asset base, and a growing ability to reach higher value markets for our customers' product. These prospects for the broader industry, particularly here in Western Canadian Sedimentary Basin, remain bright, and Pema is well positioned to benefit. We are capitalizing on the many opportunities to build upon Pemina's base business while developing our multi-billion dollar portfolio of growth opportunities. And we are a leading participant in the energy industry's evolution to a more sustainable future. Before opening the line for questions, I want to say that with the loosening of COVID-related restrictions, I am particularly looking forward to welcoming dedicated employees back to our offices in the coming days, many of, many of whom have been working from home throughout the pandemic. Similarly, we look forward to enjoying more in-person meetings over the coming months with our many investors, customers, and communities. We are excited by the prospect of reconnecting in person after a long period of mostly virtual interactions. In closing, we would once again like to thank all of our stakeholders for their support. With that, we'll wrap things up. Please open up the line for questions. Thank you. If you'd like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Once again, that's star 1 to ask a question. We'll pause for just a moment to allow everyone an opportunity to signal for questions. And we'll go first to Jeremy Tonet with J.P. Morgan. Hi, good morning. Morning, Jeremy. Um, just want to start off, Scott, if, uh, you know, you might be able to expand a bit more with regards to, you know, your vision for the company at this point, you know, assuming the role of CEO on a permanent basis. Uh, you know, granted, you've been integral to the formation of the strategy up to this point, but just wondering if you could provide a few more thoughts as far as, 
what might change or what might not change or any of the thoughts uh, under under your leadership uh, going forward. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, you know, I think as you pointed out, I've, I've been here for 11 years, been been CFO for seven, part of the strategy that got us to where we are today. So I wouldn't expect any tectonic changes in, in strategy or vision. Um, you know, as we look forward, we're still excited about, uh, you know, accretive growth funded within cash flow, obviously looking to maintain and, and have modest growth to our dividend and maintain a strong balance sheet and live within our guardrails. I mean, that's been fundamental to, to who we are. And, and I don't see any changing of that here in the short term. Got it. Didn't think so. Thank you for that. Um, and and so I want to also kind of follow up a little bit more on capital allocation. And uh, I think you touched on it a bit there, but just wondering, you know, the balance between, you know, the different ways to allocate capital, and particularly as it relates to, you know, uh, capital expenditures, growth capex going forward here, I guess how much of an emphasis do you see there within your whole capital allocation strategy? Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. I, I, I still, you know, we still believe that that uh, organic and brownfield opportunities are our best use of, of capital based on the rates of returns that we think we can achieve. So, you know, our, obviously, our maintaining our dividends a, our first priority. But to the extent that we have solid accretive growth program, we're going to look to fund those first. Um, you know, to the extent that, that, you know, there's some delays in that organic growth profile, I think we've been pretty clear that we're going to allocate that capital both to share buybacks, depending on where the share price is, as well as debt repayment, depending on where our leverage metrics is. So it's a bit of a fluid discussion. Uh, you know, as, as we pointed out in our conference call, we saw some dislocation in price in December and, and tried to take advantage of that. Um, but, but if I back up a step, the first priority will be looking for, you know, additional organic opportunities. Got it. Just the last one, if I could, if I take the old uh, annualize the fourth quarter and compare that to the 2022 guide, uh, it, it smells of a little bit of a traditional Pemina conservatism here, you know, especially in a commodity price environment that should uh, put wind in your sails. So just wondering, are there any other headwinds next year that we should be thinking about here or just kind of other any other gives and takes in the guide? I, I, you know, I, I always caution on the NGL side because the, the fourth quarter and the first quarter are always the strongest and the middle two quarters are not just due to the seasonality of that business. So it's a very dangerous game to just analyze or annualize the fourth quarter or, or the first quarter. Uh, and again, NGLs are also depends on your on your rate of sales, depending on your on your cost of goods sold. And so, you know, to the extent that we benefited in the fourth quarter from a, a rapid increase in commodity prices versus our carrying costs of our inventory, uh, you know, as we move through 2022 here, we're not only are we selling, but we're also adding inventory at quite high prices as well. So, um, in, I can see where you got to that conclusion, but I would be cautious at this stage. Got it. Uh, thank you for that, Scott, and uh, um, we'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye. We'll go next to Linda Ezergelis with TD Securities. Thank you. I wanted to congratulate you, Scott and Jarrett, both on your appointments. Um, uh, very uh, exciting time for you. Thanks, Linda. Linda. Um, in terms of um, some of your uh, projects, can you help us understand for the Peace 9 expansion, are there any sunset clauses in your shipper agreements that might 
cause the contracts to expire if you're not in a position to make a reactivation decision by the middle of this year in the event that the BC government and First Nations can't come to an agreement by that time or some other factors that, that delay that decision? Sorry, Lena, maybe just to clarify, do you mean phase eight? Oh, sorry. Uh, yes, yes. Sorry, I got my numbers wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would I would say there's a combination of, of through some of the optimization work that we've been doing, we've actually started to move some of those those volumes today, uh, or, or will be shortly. So we're getting the benefit of some of that already. But to the extent that there is, you know, still a, a couple contracts that relate to, to phase eight, um, uh, there's no sunset clauses. Okay, thank you. And maybe moving on to your Prince Rupert terminal expansion. Um, I guess the decision's imminent. The the quarters more than half done. Uh, what still needs to be figured out in order uh, to make that decision? And might any geopolitical developments recently potentially influence uh, that decision as well? Morning, Linda. I'm going to let Stu talk about just the performance of our base asset, um, just to touch on that briefly, and then I'm going to speak a little bit to the expansion. Hi, Linda. Um, so, you know, we've been very, very pleased with the performance of, of PRT. Uh, you know, uh, great work by our staff, both in the Redwater area and in our, in our, uh, you know, Prince Rupert location. You know, we've managed to, uh, you know, we're, we're managing to export just under 20,000 uh, barrels a day. Um, you know, we've proven up our reliability. We are operating very effectively. We load unit trains uh, consistently, reliably. We move them to the coast, even through some very rough climate, um, you know, environmental issues that took place in British Columbia. We got our, our trains to to the coast. We we loaded ships very effectively. And one of the key points that we've had is we've actually been able to manage the quality of our propane exceptionally well. We are producing and selling uh, a propane out of Prince Rupert that is what we refer to as, as pet chem quality, very, very low methanol content. And so we're, we're, we're super excited about 2022. Um, we've, we've, we've proven up our performance um, in the export market and we're getting lots of inbounds. So it's worked out very, very well for us and we're excited about where this is going. Yeah, thanks, Stu. And then I'll just talk a little bit, Linda, on, on the expansion itself. So engineering is essentially complete. We're just right now refining, you know, the, the rail the, the, um, and the shipping opportunities um, and onshore opportunities. Um, Stu's team is, is actively reviewing, you know, there's, there's some dynamics, X, the geopolitical that you mentioned, uh, dynamics on versus domestic and international pricing in the short term and long term reviewing that, some shipping alternatives. Um, like Stu said, we're, we're shipping pet cam quality uh, propane product. Um, so, you know, aligning that up with, with the demand side. Um, so everything's progressing as planned and, and wouldn't expect a decision here in the, in the foreseeable future. Thank you. And just as a follow-up with, with respect to uh, pet chem initiatives uh, in the region, um, not sure if there have been any developments recently, but, um, and again, given the, the moving uh, pricing uh, uh, and demand supply considerations globally, can you give us an update on how you're thinking about moving along the value chain and potential for um, getting involved in, in, in local petrochemical initiatives? Yeah, Linda, we, we continue to, to look at those opportunities, and, and I think you've already parted, addressed your own question. We watch and look at the supply-demand balance of the petrochemical feedstock. 
we're looking, you know, where that, you know, where those markets are, what the supply is looking like. I mean, there's been dramatic change um, in the propane exports, uh, you know, our own facility and um, Alta Gas facility. But along with that, the IPL development uh, um, with their pet chem space. So we're watching very closely the feedstock. We, we like our integrated assets. We think we can be a player in the pet chem space. That might be along the lines of uh, uh, infrastructure builder, um, feedstock supplier, and perhaps even further along. And, and we're evaluating those opportunities as they come. We're, we're, in, we're in conversations with a number of parties of pet chem development in, in Alberta, in the industrial heartland in particular, and trying to determine our best way to participate in those upcoming activities. Thank you. I'll jump back in the At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. Next to Matt Taylor with Tudor Pickering Holt & Company. Yeah, good morning, you guys. Thanks for taking my questions here. I, I just want to start on volumes first. Would you be able to provide some commentary on, on what you're seeing on the conventional side in terms of physical versus contractual, and then maybe a follow-on comment to to whether or not the the current drilling activity is 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 included in your your 2022 guidance? Uh, good morning, Matt. Jared here. Um, yeah, I won't speak too much to the contracted nature of piece, and I'll just focus on piece here for right now. But physical volumes, obviously, we did see a little bit of a decline. You know, Western Canada saw a prolonged 30-plus day at minus 30. So um, we did see some of our customer volumes drop off through through the holiday season there with the cold weather. That's pretty much all been alleviated, and we're seeing those volumes come come back. Um, the volumes in Alberta we've seen are obviously growing at a, a faster pace than on the BC side due to the previously mentioned um, ongoing negotiation between um, the BC government and the Blueberry River First Nation. Um, so, um, you know, the resource obviously in BC, it is, it's an exceptional resource. We believe long-term it will get developed um, prudently, um, you know, once that negotiation is complete. But um, we've really seen, you know, that, that uptick on the Alberta side as capital has kind of flown across the border, um, you know, so um, things are looking good. Yeah, thanks, Jared. And, and I noticed there's a lower recognition of, of deferred take or pay. Can we interpret that as, as physical volumes are right up against contracts and you're starting to realize some interruptibles? Um, I, I think the way to interpret that, Matt, would be if, if you go back to 2020, um, you know, we typically, you'll recall, because of the, the recognition of take or pay volumes, that's back-end weighted. 
Uh, often it, it either becomes uh, a significant recognition in, in Q3 or Q4 because of the dynamics of, you know, obviously the pandemic in 2020, uh, that recognition was deferred into Q4 of last year when it, it has typically been, you know, more so in Q3. And, and I would characterize 2021 as a more normalized year. So, you know, as, as Jared mentioned, we are seeing some positive some positive uh, momentum overall, you know, quarter over quarter on on the volume side. But what you're speaking about is really sort of a year over year dynamic. Okay, thanks, Cam. And, and where you're seeing volumes today, how's that tracking to your assumptions and your your guidance? Yeah, I, I think so far we're you know we're we're, we're bang on. It, it, it's tracking according to expectations. I mean, we are pleased to see uh, activity you know continuing, and uh, you know nothing nothing is uh, is changing much relative to our expectations so far. Okay, great. And then maybe one last one. Um, now that that the TMX cost has been updated, can can you give us an update there with with how your partners are, are thinking about that um, in terms of is that project still on the radar, given the cost overruns and the government stepping back and, and saying you know they need to find their own financing. Just any update on on what you'd need to see to to still be in, involved in that process. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a stab at that one, and Janet, feel free to jump in if you want to add anything. I, I think, Matt, strategically, we still like the asset, and we still think it makes sense. Uh, we obviously still have strong alignment with our with our partner, uh, but clearly last week's news was pretty material in terms of cost of schedule, so we're currently digesting that. Yeah, I'd just add that, you know, at the end of the day, it needs to be a commercially viable pipeline, and so you know, that that's the cost is definitely a factor that we're looking at right now. Okay, great. Thanks for taking my questions. We'll go next to Rob Hope with Scotiabank. Uh, morning, everyone. Uh, congrats on the, uh, on the appointment. Um, moving to a bit longer term here, you know, frac capacity and utilization in Port Saskatchewan is creeping up. We have kind of the expectations of increasing volumes with LNG Canada. You know, how are you looking at the need for new frac capacity, whether it be Edmonton or trying to, uh, you know, build out some additional opportunities in Northeast BC? Morning, Rob. Uh, thanks. Um, Jared here. So obviously, yet yeah, you've nailed it. Frac capacity in Fort Saskatchewan is um, um, becoming a scarce commodity. Um, as you, you may recall, um, RFS2 and RFS3, you know, kind of had that sanctioning in 20 or came on in 2016, 2017. And we have that, that 10 year, I believe, um, contracted window. So we do have some expiries coming up in, you know, four to five years from today. So we want to obviously ensure that we, we get our base assets um, fully contracted prior to announcing any expansions and, and maximize the utilization through RFS1, 2 and 3 today. Um, with that said, we recognize that, you know, a new frac build-out, we obviously have the land, we have the rail infrastructure, we have a lot of the utilities, we have the cavern on the, on the front end side and the sales side, all essentially in place. So what Pemina would need, one of, the, one of the advantages we have, obviously, is we just really need to build a fractionator and possibly another cogen um, to, to go along with that to generate, you know, some, some green power. So, um, you know, we're looking at it. It'd probably be about a two-year build. Um, it would be uh, a replica of, of the fracs we already have in place. 
Um, so we wouldn't have to do a lot of upfront engineering, et cetera. We might just optimize around the corners a little bit from what we've learned on the previous builds, but uh, Pemina can satisfy that fairly quickly. So actively looking at it, it's probably just a little bit um, premature right now, but um, it's definitely on our radar. You nailed it. All right, appreciate the color. Uh, and then just uh, an allocation of capital kind of clarification there. You know, it looks like marketing could be another good year in 2022. Um, you know, as you try to balance excess cash flow, how do you look at dividends versus buybacks? Yeah, Rob, I, I think based on the, the current forecast um, and, and kind of looking out over the next couple of years, I think we still... Uh, you know, obviously subject to, to board approval and other things, feel like there's room to grow the dividend modestly while still having cash flow for potential share buybacks or, or debt repayments, and, and not necessarily debt repayment to the extent of significantly lowering the leverage, but more in the anticipation of, of you know, incremental growth projects and positioning that balance sheet so that when we start to add the capital um, and, and, you know, not get the EBITDA, we don't want to get you know, over our skis in terms of leverage metrics. So it's a bit of a balancing act, but uh, we still think that dividend, you know, modest dividend increases are on the table. Thank you. I'll hop back in the queue. We'll go next to Robert Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. Great. Good morning. Um, you know, Scott, if I can just come back to the strategic side of things and can you just comment on any changes, even nuanced, to Pemina's approach or your approach to acquisitions, just given prior statements that M&A is, is part of Pemina's DNA and historically you've been quite acquisitive relative to your Canadian peers? Uh, nuanced. Um, well, well, we've known each other a long time. I'm obviously a little more conservative in nature, but I, I got a lot of peers like Stu who are are very optimistic. So I, honestly, Robert, I don't think there's going to be too much of a change. I think we'll we'll react when opportunities come available. We'll continue to to look what's out there, and if something's additive to our value chain, we'll we'll look at it. I mean, I, I'd I'd reiterate the messages. You know, you're not going to wake up tomorrow and see us buying a Permian pipeline. Like it's not within strategy. It's not within value chain. I think we'll continue to be disciplined as it relates to to acquisitions. Um, you know, I think we showed that on the interpipeline transaction. And I think that'll continue going forward. So, um, y you know, I, I still I go back to if we see good return, uh, good risk return projects that fit within our guardrails, that fit within our strategy, that's going to probably be our first order of, of capital allocation. Uh, you know, those obviously make our company better um, and, and add, add services to our producers. So that'll be the first order of allocation. And then after that, we'll go down the chain to, to buybacks and debt repayment. Okay. Um, and then just on your initial answer around, um, you know, guardrails and, and the like, you did say in the short term, and I guess I'm just wondering what types of things might be on the table for changes over the medium to longer term in your view? Uh, so, yeah, maybe maybe I, I shouldn't have said short term. You're misinterpreting my words. I just say for now, you know, I'm in the seat. This is how we're visioning it, and I don't foresee any changes. Okay, perfect. Um, if I can just enter something a little granular here, just as you think about your marketing business, you know, Scott, you talked about some of the things to think about as, as say, year-over-year headwinds. 
can you just break down the first 2021 between like what percentage of marketing came from frack spread, what percentage roughly came from crude oil midstream, and then what came from ENGL marketing, the, the buy sell business? Yeah, you know, I think we, we we've sort of intentionally not uh, not delaminated to that point, Rob. I, I think we've uh, we've gone back over time, and you know, if you go back to 2018, you know, we were sort of 50-50, uh, mar- excuse me, 50-50 uh, NGL and crude uh, in the marketing book in that year. Uh, this was obviously a, an incredibly stronger year, and and you know, much of much of the performance in 2021 has to do with the rapid acceleration or rapid change in price in the NGL book. So you can you can probably infer that uh, the weighting in 2021 was uh, was more heavily weighted to the NGL book compared to that compared yeah, to that, that data NG- point. But that NGL book was a combination of frac spreads and and the buy sell business though, right? Cor- that's correct. Yeah. Do you have any sense? Or you have a sense? Do you have uh, anything you can give us just as the weighting then between those two businesses? Um, yeah, I mean the, the frac spread business uh, actually ends up being a, a smaller component of the NGL book uh, relative to it. You know, of of the sales profile, uh, which was you know about uh, you know for for Q4, uh, you know, let's let's call it 100 190 thousand barrels a day. Uh, the frac spread business would be. Uh, you know, let's call it 20 to 25% of that. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Well, the next to you, Patrick Kinney with National Bank Financial. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, just on the Alberta carbon grid, now that you've had a little bit more time to work with TC on design and scope, wondering if you could... Uh, help us distill this opportunity for Pemina a little more, just as it relates to both the transportation of the CO2, uh, but as well, perhaps integrating the sequestration infrastructure with your Fort Sask footprint. And also lastly, if you still, or if you feel like you need to perhaps bring in another strategic partner before you might be in a position to sanction. Uh, Pat, it's Stu. I'll, I'll, you know, we're, we're pretty happy. Um, We've been, you know, working through the process, um, the government-defined process. Uh, you know, bids or, or submissions were due, um, you know, earlier this year. Uh, we have submitted our, our, our documentation. Uh, we, we, again, believe we've submitted with our partner, TC, a very viable um, sequestration application. Um, the government is reviewing those. Uh, it is, you know, it changed through the year. We had originally came in with a larger vision, a, a provincial solution. The government's come out uh, with the process of the first step being the, you know, the industrial heartland emissions. We have put forward in our submission a, a sequestration and transportation uh, plan for the, for the Alberta industrial heartland emissions. Uh, we still see opportunity to grow that to a provincial solution. Um, we, you know, it's in the industrial heartland. Our redwater assets are in the industrial heartland. Uh, you know, we, we see it um, very near those assets. We have our own emissions to, to capture and sequester. And so we think we can integrate it very effectively and, and with our operations that take place there, feel we're, you know, along with TC, that we have a, you know, the experience and the capability to be an effective operator of that carbon sequestration uh, hub that we're proposing. Okay, thanks, Stu. Um, appreciate that. And then maybe for Scott, you know, you, you have the Cedar LNG project in the works. Um, 
but I guess as you zoom out and, and think about energy transition, any thoughts around accelerating the company's market position within the uh, North American LNG landscape, either through you know further greenfield, brownfield, or perhaps M&A? Pat, I'm gonna actually let Stu answer that question. Yeah, you know, Pat, we're looking, you know, we're, we're working very diligently uh, on our, our feed work with our partner, uh, the Heisla First Nation. Um, you know, everything is going well. We've submitted our, our environmental assessment uh, application for the project. Um, we like the Cedar project. We're looking for additional opportunities in the area, um, how to continue to grow and work that. We, we, we like the opportunity for more Western Canadian gas to get to Tidewater and, and LNG export. Um, you know, they're, they're challenging. Uh, we have a, there's a large pipeline that is required to get to Tidewater uh, in Canada. Uh, we have looked, obviously you're well aware of the Jordan Cove opportunity. Uh, we have looked further, further afield at some of those opportunities. But, you know, they, they just get further and further away for us. And there's many, you know, many people who are operating in those areas. And, you know, we like the, we like the integration with our existing asset base. We, you know, obviously our, our, our gas plants and our pipelines in, in Northeast British Columbia in particular and, and uh, in Alberta, connecting those um, and, and, the, and the demand draw on that gas, we think is hugely valuable to, to us, to our customers, and we think we can integrate those very effectively. Okay, thanks for that. And then if I could sneak in one more, um, Cam, just on the, the bond maturity at Ruby this April, so you mentioned in the release that there's several options here to, to satisfy the maturity, but perhaps you could just walk us through what those options are. And also, I guess, if, you know, handing over the keys um, to the bondholders might be an option that you're considering at this point as well, just given the outlook for volumes and, and incremental contracts. Yeah, Pat, I, um, I appreciate the question. I'll, I'll probably um, avoid kind of going into too much detail, you know, recognizing that this is a, an ongoing, an ongoing uh, discussion. Uh, you know, what I will say is that, uh, you know, we're, we're continuing to work towards a solution uh, alongside our partner, uh, Kinder Morgan, and, and clearly, uh, you know, we'd, we'd like to, to have a solution to this in advance of uh, the 1st of April, but, uh, you know, really need, need everyone to come to the table. So um, probably just leave it there. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, thanks, guys. The next to Robert Cavalier with CIBC Capital Markets. Hey, good morning. Uh, you've answered the majority of my questions, but uh, maybe you can uh, just provide some detail on the exposure of certain gas fees, uh, gas processing fees tied to ECO prices. Uh, how much of the processing fees are tied that way? And uh, is this a fee structure you intend to use more in the future? And uh, related to that, there were some unrealized losses on uh, related hedging. I wonder if you could explain the hedging strategy and how that uh, interplays with uh, the frac spread business where you're uh, naturally short uh, gas and whether or not there's a natural hedge there. Morning, Rob. I will take the first part of that question. So in the gas processing business, pre-pandemic, um, we executed executed a blend and extend agreement with one of our one of our customers um, in in GBU, and what it did essentially, Rob, was um, you know it's it's a combination of a base fee 
100% taker pay, um, and then Pemina has the ability to participate in upside um, when, you know, obviously uh, commodity prices go up. So it's, um, you know, it was considered a win-win with, with our customer. Um, and we obviously, as you've seen, get to participate when, when commodity prices are strong. Um, it's the only type of deal we've done like that, and it's, it's not something typically we've done in the past, but in this particular one instance, it was, a, it was a really good outcome with the customer at the time. Yeah, Rob, maybe just, just one additional point is I don't, I mean, it was a call it a one and done. I don't think that's a fee structure we'll be doing in the future. And then maybe just to your questions that relates to hedging, um, you know, nothing's changed with our hedging strategy as it relates to our frac spread business. We continue to hedge approximately 50% of, of, of the frac spread business, and that's on our wholly owned business. That doesn't include Oxable. So we're hedging, uh, obviously, the propane, the butane, the condensate, and, and the gas purchases uh, on a sales profile throughout the year. Okay, that's all very helpful. Uh, and then with the, um, what does what change in the production outlook upstream to causing impairment charges for uh, Mitsu and Nibisi, and have those assets been uh, fully written off? Yeah, Rob, I'll, I'll take the first part and, and maybe uh, give Jared an opportunity to just weigh in uh, in terms of what we're seeing commercially. So uh, you're right, the, 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 the um, foundational contracts on Nipisu, Nipisi and Mitsu expired in Q4, and uh, um, that, that led us to uh, take a full impairment on the assets. Uh, there, are, uh, there are opportunities, uh, potential opportunities, uh, obviously, in the Clearwater area, with that activity being, uh, you know, very active uh, at the moment. That said, uh, you know, nothing to the extent and, and substantial probability uh, for us to for us to bake into our assessment. But uh, you know, we're, we are continuing to work on that. I'll, I'll give it to Jared if there's anything else, sir. Yeah, the only thing I would add, Rob, is that obviously uh, well-maintained, high-integrity uh, pipeline assets, uh, we believe are. Um, very valuable, and like Cam said, we continue to talk in and around the area on on different commercial solutions to, to put different types of product in that fight. Okay, thank you. That's it for me, and congratulations uh, to everyone on their appointments. Thanks, thanks, Rob. Well, the next two Matthew weeks with IA Capital Markets. Uh, good morning. I, I think all my questions have actually been uh, asked, uh, answered at this stage, so I'll just hop back in the queue. Thanks. Okay. Well, I think that's it. Sorry, I was just going to say I think that's it for for questions. So uh, appreciate everybody taking the time today. Uh, we look forward to an exciting 2022. Thanks for all your support. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. This does conclude today's conference. We thank you for your participation. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.